last week we kicked off a new series called Gospel Pathway. And the subtitle of this is Learning to Walk in Newness of Life. That's a promise we get in Scripture that uh, we are a new creation in Christ. But maybe for some of you, you understand the gospel. You would call yourself a Christian. You've been a Christian for quite some time. But maybe you're not experiencing the power of the gospel. You don't know how to live out the gospel. You're no, you don't feel like you are walking in newness of life. Um, so that's the heart of this series to learn how, like, okay, what's, let's lay the foundation of what the gospel is. Uh, and learn actually how to live it out and apply it um, to see the power of God in our lives. And last week we kicked off with looking at how God is the prize. And today we've got a fun one for you on sin the problem. So that's where we're going. Uh, and before we can start to see change in our life, because let's be honest, that's what we want. Like we want to grow as people. Well, there's struggles that we want to get over. There's habits that we want to kick. We want, we want to be a better person. We want that. But before we can see that kind of transformation in our life, we have to know what's our real problem. What, what's our real problem that, that we have to address? Like what's the real issue? And everyone in here has got issues. So what's wrong with you? What is it? What, what's your issue? Do you, do you eat too much? Do you drink too much? You a jealous person? Are you greedy? You got a porn problem? Are you just kind of self-centered? Is this getting too heavy too quick? Should we start? Let's just start with the person next to you. What's wrong with the person next to you? <laughs> like you know them well. It's like you've been you know, building up and you've just been waiting for an opportunity to tell them. Here it is. Just turn to him right now. Just saying like, hey, he's at, he asked. I'm going to tell you, right? This is what I've been seeing. Like, we can see it clearly in other people, but, but looking at ourselves, like, like what's, what's your issue? What, what's, your, what's your problem? What's, what's wrong with you? There's a proverb that says, like, a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to its folly. Like, have you ever done something and genuinely in your heart been like, I'm never doing that again, and then you did it again? That's insanity. Like, why do you do that? You're messed up. Like, we got problems, we got issues. Do you have, uh, ever find yourself hiding? Like, they're shameful. I don't want this person to know that. I, I just kind of hide and try to project a false view of myself. Anybody have social media? Yeah, so you do that, right? Do you feel like you blame other people? Like, we have issues, we have problems. Now, the world would say, you know, you are perfect just the way that you are. You know, don't, don't ever change. We know that's not true. Like, we know we're not perfect. We know we got things we want to change. The world's not perfect. You're not perfect. Like, we have problems. We have issues. And they're not going to come right out and say that, but, but we know that's the case. So what is the problem? What's, what's ultimately wrong with you? Like, what's at the root of your problem? Like, it, a, a shared root. Like, it may express itself differently for different, but, but at the core What's your issue? What's, what's our issue at the core? Because it's, it's hard to repent if you don't know what the real problem is, right? Married people, have you ever been in a fight over something you thought was little only to find out it's not little? Like you never put your dishes away. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. And then you put your dish away, but it's not all better. And you're like, I think this is deeper than the dish, Right? There's something more underneath why you're upset. Well, what's the something underneath why we sin, why we lie, why we're greedy, why we're self-centered? Like, what's underneath that? What's the, what's the root of our problem? What's, what's ultimately our problem? 
And we, we have a category for this or a title for this in Christianity, sin. Sin is your problem. Like that's, that's how we categorize this or we label it, that we have a, a sin problem. Now, the world tends not to like that. It's bad on the self-esteem. It feels like, well, you're kind of being, you know, hurting people's feelings. But the, the secular world knows this and agrees with it. They wouldn't say it that way, but they'd say, well, nobody's perfect. Or you're only human. Like even the secular world understands like human beings have a problem. You're only human means you shouldn't expect too much. You're flawed. Nobody's perfect means like you're going to have problems. So what's, what's the problem? I mean, ultimately, what's the problem? And the Bible teaches that everyone is born with a sin nature. Everyone is born with a sin nature. Like you were born this way. You were born with this problem. In fact, uh, we're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's our nature. And it comes out. But that is uh, it's something that we don't always understand. We can use that word. You can even agree with me. Yeah, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Well, what's the core of sin? Like, what's ultimately the problem of sin? Sometimes we would just reduce it down to morality. Like, you have a right or wrong list on morality. Or it's not doing bad stuff, whatever the bad stuff is in your mind. But sometimes it's a perversion of good stuff. Like, God gave us food as a gift, taste buds to enjoy food, but we can be gluttons. He gave us sex to enjoy, a context of marriage to enjoy it, but we got over a billion-dollar porn industry. So we can pervert good things as a part of sin. But still, it's even deeper than that. Like, those are just symptoms, not the disease. We can find ourselves just trying to treat symptoms. I just got an anger problem. I just got a drinking problem. I just got a porn problem. I just got a lust problem. I just got a you know, self-centered problem. I'm just greedy. And it's like, no, you, you have a deeper problem than that. What is it? What's the, what's the core of sin? What, what's the real problem behind all that? And the reason that we need to get to that is if we're going to see real change in our life, we need to see real repentance or accurate repentance. What exactly are you repenting of? And when we get that right, we begin, we begin to see change in our life. And I'm guessing for a lot of us, maybe we're confused at what exactly is the real problem. Or what exactly is at the core of your problem? What is the essence of sin? Now, we're going to go to just three main passages. I'll read another uh, couple other texts to you. But the three main passages that we're going to go to, and I'm just going to be up front with you. This, my goal this morning is really to be informative. Um, there's a perspective that we need to have. Uh, and I want us to have that perspective. Uh, and this is going to be a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, as it fits into the series, like we're just going to kind of end and it's going to be like, well, come back next week. We'll get some answers. And today is a whole lot of bad news. Uh, so this is where we're at. Let's do it. Genesis 3. Let's go to ground zero of sin. If you're familiar with scripture, uh, things were really good in the first two chapters. And then you get to chapter 3 and it hits the fan. Like we've got some problems now, and this is where sin gets introduced into the world, and we need to understand, okay, if this is where it gets introduced, what is it? What's at the heart? What was their problem? What's, what's our problem? So Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So he's crafty. There's some trickery. There's going to be some deception that's coming. He said to the woman... 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It's like bringing God's word into question. Because God, God made him this beautiful garden. He could say you can eat of any tree, but not this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent says, did he really say that? Like, I don't know, let's just kind of raise the question. He's crafty. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It's not exactly what he said. Like, Eve, do you not know what he said, which makes you very susceptible to believe in the lies? Or did you distort what he said? He never said that you couldn't touch it. But you added to that. Now you're vulnerable and the lies come in. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So first he questioned the words of God. Did he really say that? Now he's just directly opposing that. That's not true. That's not what's going to happen. You'll be okay. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now you read this kind of first seven verses of this story, and you can come to the conclusion like, I don't think the serpent was that far off. Like, they didn't drop dead when they took a bite. And their eyes were opened, and now they have a knowledge of good and evil, and they're shameful. You can feel like um, maybe he was telling the truth, but he's crafty, and he's deceptive, and he told a lie, and he told a very compelling lie, and it led to some bad things. Like anytime you're in a garden naked with your spouse, and you start to put clothes on, that's a step in the wrong direction, right? That's what's happening here. Like you kind of slid in there, told a lie, and now we, we find ourselves in a tougher position. So here's what's happening. God comes in and they hide. And they're afraid. Where'd that come from? This relationship that they had with God is now broken. You're hiding from God? You're afraid of God? And God begins to give some, some consequences or some judgments. Childbearing's not going to be fun for you. Like, work's not going to be fun for you. There's going to be strife between you. You're kicked out of the garden. You can't enter again. No more tree of life. Like you're going to start to die. You're going to get sick. Your body's going to break down. Like some major judgment and consequences. And you read this story, and you see the consequences, and you're like, what's the big deal? So they ate something they weren't supposed to eat. Like, who hasn't done that, right? Dinner's at 6. I ate at 4.30. I'm sorry. Like, we do that, Right? You could look at this and be like, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, they had some fruit. What, what, what is it? Or you can feel like, I don't know if the punishment fits the crime. Okay, you ate something you were supposed to eat, and now you're going to die, cast away from God, kicked out of the garden, have to work the land and toil and pain and childbirth. Like, I don't, I don't know if the punishment fits the crime. Now, we might come to that conclusion because we don't really understand how holy God is. Because it's not just what they did, but it's who they did it to. Or we might come to that conclusion because we can tend to miss what the real offense is here. The sin in Genesis 3 is not eating. That's not the sin. It's like, where did they go wrong? Chewing? 
Swallowing? Like, what was the real offense here? It has nothing to do with eating. It's even deeper than disobedience. Because you might be used to this story and be like, well, what did Adam and Eve do? They disobeyed God. It's deeper than that. Why did they disobey God? Look at back to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And I want to draw your attention to three words here. She saw that it was good. It was a delight. It's not just good. It's delightful. And I desire it. It's good. I delight in it. I desire it. And, and the, the weave, the, the lie that's being woven here is a kind of an attack on the character and goodness of God. So, so here's the thinking that's, that's being played out here. When she looks at this tree, this is good, and God doesn't want me to have it. You ever feel that way? God, it looks good. Why are you telling me no? It, it, it's good, and God doesn't want me to have it. This is delightful, and God won't let me have it. So are you good? So I'm starting to question that. I desire it, and God is keeping it from me. So the character and goodness of God is beginning to erode here in this temptation. And what is the promise of the fruit or the lie of the fruit? It's going to make you wise. This is going to be an upgrade for you. I mean, he started you off with a pretty sweet garden. Let's give him that. But here's how you can do better for yourself. Here's how you can be like God. And this promise to kind of upgrade your situation. And they desired what the fruit could do for them more than what God could do for them. That's the problem. They desired what the fruit could do for them more than what God can do for them. God, hear me now, God is no longer the prize. The fruit is the new prize. Oh, I can be wise? This is good? I'm I'm going after that, even at the disobedience of God. And they prized what the fruit could give them more than what God could give them. That was the issue. That was their issue. Guys, and that's ultimately our issue. Like we prefer other stuff more than God. We prefer money more than God. We prefer sex more than God. We prefer status more than God. We prefer, you know, prefer sex more than God or, 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 or success or whatever it may be. Like that, that we put lesser things above God. And that's what gets us into the messes we find ourselves in. And we believe the lie, too. This is going to satisfy me more than God. This is going to bring me more fulfillment than what God can offer me. This is going to give me more pleasure than what God can offer me. I think I'll be better off this way than what God can bring me. And whatever your issue is, you dig down there, you're going to find there's a place where you prefer something more than God. It's like the essence of our sin. It's ultimately... Our problem. In fact, that's why the first commandment, uh, when in Exodus 20, when it's talking about the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, You shall have no other gods before me. Like, let's start there, because that's where this whole thing got off. Like, you put something above me. You trusted someone else other than me. I was not your highest priority and delight in your life. Like, so, so the commandment number one, have no other gods before me. Well, that's why it's the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's the greatest commandment. Everything else falls under that. Like, you've got to get this right. It's the, it's the first commandment in the, in the ten. It's the greatest commandment because it's, it's at the root of every other sin. 
In fact, when Martin Luther was talking about the Ten Commandments, he said you can't break Commandment 2 through 10 without first breaking Commandment 1. You will always break Commandment number 1 as a kind of a precursor to whatever other commandment you're, you're breaking. You put some other God above God, and that led you to lie. That led you to steal. That led you to covet. But commandment number one is there because it kind of sets the temperature for everything. It is the disease behind all our symptoms, behind lying, behind cheating, behind greed, whatever. It's misplaced desires. That you're failing to prize God in your life. He's not the treasure that he should be. And something else has caught your eye. Something else has caught your heart. That's ultimately your problem. Now, I know some of you because you're like, no, you don't even know me. I used to say that's my problem. If you knew me, like I got a drinking problem, I'll admit that. Or I got an anger problem, I'll admit that. Or I got a lust problem, I'll admit that. Or I got a self-centered problem, I'll, like that's my problem. It's like, no, it's deeper than that. But if you still don't believe me, let's look at another passage. Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2, we're going to start in verse 11. See if I can convince you here. Here we go. Verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for what, for that which does not profit. Here's what he's saying. Has anybody changed their gods for something that are no gods? That's what my people have done. And the second time he says it, he says, but my people have changed their glory. What's their glory? Is their God. God is their glory. Their closeness to God. That they are God's people. That's their glory. It's like my people have changed their glory or exchanged their glory, which is me, for things that aren't God's. They made this foolish exchange. They took something that's not God and started to worship it or, or prioritize it as if it is God. And they took the real God and neglected him as if he's not the real God. It's like, who does that? It's like, do you know a nation that does that? No, that's ludicrous. The very next verse is this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. It's like, if you're looking at this, you ought to be appalled that this is their behavior. Who does this? The heavens that look down ought to be disgusted that this is how they treat God, who made them. You're going to just kind of, you know, turn your back on God for things that aren't God? Like this, is, this is what they're doing. And then he says this in verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. You're like, two? Really? I've read the Old Testament. I think there's some more than just two. There's a lot of evil going on. Now he's not saying like, hey, you've only done two things wrong. No, he's saying everything that you've done wrong, you can boil it down to these two things. Like behind every sin, it's this. This is the sin. Like th this is the evil that has expressed itself in all kinds of different ways. But if you boil it down, i got two issues with you. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So he's really saying, you have forsaken God who satisfies for other things that can't satisfy. That's what you've done. You've, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. you got living water, and you're like, nah, 
I think I'll dig my own well. And the well you dig can't even hold water. This, this is, he's saying, this is how he's describing the behavior of his people. You've forsaken me who satisfies for other things that can't satisfy. This is evil and stupid. Like, how, how, how can you make this decision? The heavens ought to be appalled at how you're coming to these conclusions. Are you ridiculous? But, but this is what he's saying. I'm pointing out your behavior. You're saying no to a fountain of living water for wells that can't even hold water. This is, this is their evil. And here's the issue. We've lost our thirst for God. We've lost our thirst for God, but yet we're still thirsty. We're still thirsty. Instead of going to God who made us to be fulfilled and satisfied by him, we are trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in other things that cannot fulfill you like God. That's your problem. That's their problem. That's our problem. It's like, forget God. I'll dig my own well. Forget God. I know how to make myself happy. Forget God. I know what I want. Forget God. I know what I need. Forget God. Nobody knows me like me. Forget God. I'll make my own choices. Forget God. I'll, make, I'll find my own happiness. I'll find my own fulfillment. Like, just forget God on that. Just like uh, that's ultim- our ultimate problem. We prefer lesser things than God. Just like in the garden. Forget paradise. I want that fruit, and it's going to make me wiser, and that's my upgrade. So forget you, God, or in our circumstances. Forget God and your word. I'm going to do what I want. Live how I want. Chase what I want. Like, forget you, God. I'll, I'll, I'll find my own happiness. Forget you, God. I'll, I'll, I'll create my own fulfillment. Now, we wouldn't say it like that. I mean, you're good church people, right? We know better. That's not who we would put it. But that's not how Adam and Eve put it either. And that's not how the people of Israel put it either. It's a lot more subtle and polite than that. Like, I don't want to leave the garden. That was never our intention. I want you, God, and that fruit that you say I can't have. I want them both. Or, or God, it's not like we want to stop worshiping you. Super thankful for you. Egypt stuff, loved it, right? We just also want to worship the other gods. Let's do both. Let's, you know, the prophet of Baal and Yahweh. Let's kind of put it together. Can we just make everybody happy? I mean, it's a, it's a lot more subtle than that. I'm not against God. Love God. Salvation thing, ooh. just want to kind of live my own life. Make my own decisions. Find fulfillment where I want to find fulfillment. And it's this foolish exchange that we have like the God of glory who we were made by and made for. And we take loyalty and faithfulness to him and we try to add in some other stuff. Compromise and chase our own things down and think we could satisfy ourselves by ourselves. Foolish. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's their problem. Here's a, a wild thought for you. If you're familiar with the story of the Israelites and their exodus, their rescue out of Egypt when they go into uh, the promised land, or the, in fact, this is before they get there. We referenced this last week, but Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. 
And when the Israelites were left by themselves, they fashioned a golden calf to worship. But do you know what those people had for lunch that night, that day, when they made the golden calf? Manna. The people that rebelled against God in that way probably still had the taste of manna on their mouth. Like, what do you have for lunch? Miraculous bread that came down from heaven by our Savior God who's taking care of us? Sweet. What are you going to do tonight? Worship a golden calf and rebel against him? But how quickly, how quickly we run different directions. It's like we're blind to it. We, we, we can't see it. And our problem is not just that we do things we shouldn't do. Our problem is we can't see things we should see. We don't get things we should get. Like we're blinded to it. Like if I have a vision problem, if I take off my glasses, I can't, I can't see like 10 feet in front of me. Like I can't do it. I got a vision problem. Or if you're colorblind, it's like red looks like orange, green looks like blue. Like you just can't see it. That's your problem. Well, as a sinner, with our sin nature, we fail to see the glory of God. Like we can't see how beautiful he is. So we go chasing other things. We think other things will fulfill us. It's like we're blind to the glory of God. In fact, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 4. This is what Paul says. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's like this is kind of the root of unbelief. You don't see it. You don't see how awesome God is. You don't get a clear picture of how holy God is. So you go chasing other things. That's your problem. That's like a definition of unbelief. It's, it's our sin nature. Like you fail to get how glorious God is. That's our problem. That's our problem. We don't love God as we should. We don't see him as he is. That's the disease or the root of our sin or issue. The essence of our sin. It's ultimately your problem. It's ultimately my problem. And I know some of you are still like, no, I, don't, I love God. I just have an anger problem, right? I love God. I just have a greed problem. You're still pushing back on it. Let's go one more verse. See if I can convince you. Romans 3. You guys are stubborn people. <laughs> Romans 3. You've probably heard of this passage before. Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Fall short of the glory of God. Of course we fall short of the glory of God. No one's as glorious as God. I'll never be as glorious as God. The angels aren't glorious as God. Like, what do you mean, Paul, that we fall short of the glory of God? Well, to understand what he's saying here is to best understand what he has been saying up to this point. So if you flip over to chapter 1. Of Romans, He's really talking about kind of our depravity, our sin problem. But he sheds some light on what he means by glory here. Verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So that's kind of the essence of our problem. We know God. We're not treating God as God deserves to be treated. That's our problem. With all they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Honor him as God. That's this thing. You know God, but you don't treat God like God. 
If you want to understand the essence of your problem, that's it. You know God. You don't treat God like God. It's like, how do you treat God? Worship. Adoration. Obedience. Faithfulness. He's, he's God. There is no higher. It's like, but that's not what you're doing. You're, you're putting other things higher. So although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So you think you got this world figured out, but you, you, you're not latching on to it. You're, you're still in the dark here. You're a fool. And this is what they did. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. So there's an exchange that happens. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for other things. It's just like you took the fountains of living water and you exchanged it for wells that can't even hold water. Same kind of exchange. You took the glory of the immortal God and you traded it for like creepy things, crawly things, animals. That's what you did. There's this foolish exchange. And it's not like you abandoned one for the other, but there was a placement for one and something took that place that was meant for God. Something took top priority, placement. So sometimes sin is doing bad things. Sometimes sin is the perversion of good things. And sometimes sin is when good things become ultimate things. That's the exchange. It, it took the place that was meant for God. It took the highest priority in your life. This became your greatest treasure. This became what life was about. This became where you think you would find fulfillment. You exchanged the glory of God for that. And a good thing became an ultimate thing. And that's sin. That's why in Matthew 10, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Or whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wait, what? Now, it's a good thing to love your mom and dad. And it's a good thing to love your son or daughter. In fact, it's a commanded thing that we do. But it is the essence of sin to love anything or anyone more than God. To think anything or anyone could fulfill you more than God. To put anything or anyone above God. To look at your spouse and say, you are the joy of my life. It's idolatry. You're not worthy of Jesus. To look at your kids and be like, you're the light of my life. It's idolatry. That's what's meant for God. To look at your job and think, this is what gives me value. It's idolatry. To look at your bank account, and this is what's going to give me joy. It's idolatry. It's sin. So when he says in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what he's saying is that we all fail to glorify God like we should. We fail to glorify God like we should. We fail to worship Him like we should. We fail to love Him like we should. We, we fail to love Him like He deserves. We fail to treat God like God. That's the essence of our sin. Don't misinterpret the problem in this world or the problem in your life. Listen, if all the wars stopped and there was no more racism, there was no more sex trafficking, there was no more corporate greed, there was no more poverty, there was no more world hunger, 
and yet still nobody worshiped the Lord God, then we'd be a group of people rightly destined for hell still. Don't buy into this utopian world that exists without the worship of God at the center of it. And the irony is, why we have wars and racism and greed and sex trafficking is because the worship of God is not at the center of our world. The greatest injustice in our world is injustice towards God. God is not being treated as God deserves by his creation. It's the greatest injustice in the world. God is not being worshipped by people he made. And he's not being worshipped the way he deserves to be worshipped. Greatest injustice of our world is injustice towards God. So let's, let's get a little bit more personal. When you think of your issues, let me be upfront with you. If you kick every bad habit, every struggle that you have, your marriage problems all got fixed and you got out of all of your debt that you didn't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you would not be all better. We need to stop trying to just cure symptoms and start addressing the disease. Now hear me now. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. And you are worse than probably you even know. Because the person you sinned against is holier than you can even imagine. You fail to worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. You fail to love God the way he deserves to be loved. You don't treasure God the way he deserves to be treasured. Not only that, you dig your own wells for satisfaction and you treasure money or sex or, or act, social affirmation or whatever you put in there more than God. sinners. And your biggest problem, this is what I want you to remember, your biggest problem is a worship problem. Your biggest problem is a worship problem. I know some of you still in here, it's like, no. <laughs> I mean, I got an anger problem, right? No, I got a greed problem. I got, you know, just, I got a lying problem. I'm a klepto. I don't know what it is. Like, no, this is my problem, right? Whatever that is, it's like, no, this is my problem. Just like Adam and Eve had a fruit eating problem. Come on, guys. It's deeper than that. Why did you eat the fruit? What kind of lie was it promising you that you bought into? Why do you do that? Why are you angry? Why do you drink? Why do you click on that website? Why do you do it? It's deeper than that. And ultimately, your biggest problem is a worship problem. And until we realize this, we will be fighting the battle on the wrong front. Just trying to modify our behavior when the real problem lies in our heart. And church, if we ultimately, our, our ultimate problem is a worship problem, then when we sin, we can't just repent of lying. We can't just repent of drinking too much. We can't just repent of being angry. We can't just repent of looking at something we shouldn't have looked at. We have to get to the conclusion of, where did my worship get off that led me to lie? That led to that angry outburst. That led to me looking places I shouldn't look. Like where, what's the little G God that got put before the big G God? That I had to have this. 
I needed this. I chased that down. I desired this. Like, where did our worship get off? And figuring that out takes some digging. But it's essential for the correct kind of repentance. And the correct kind of repentance is essential for Christian growth. So, Christian, are you a repenting Christian? Do you repent of the right things? Do you even know how to repent of the right things? Let me give you a quick kind of repenting lesson to help us grow in repentance. When you sin, ask why five times. Now, now there's no magic number to five. You may get to the conclusion before then, or you may just get started, and you've got to ask why a few more times. But when you sin, ask why five times. If you lie, okay, why did I lie? Because I wanted to look good in front of those people. Okay, why did I want to look good in front of those people? Because I really want their affirmation. Okay, why do I want their affirmation? Because their affirmation gives me value. Oh, repent of that. That I thought their approval would give me more value than, than my maker God and being faithful to him. Oh, God, have mercy on my soul. It's so much worse than just lying. How could I come to that conclusion? Like, dig for what you need to be repenting of. Or here's another repentance tip. Instead of just acknowledging the action of your sin, ask the question, what was the lie I believed that led to that action? Why why did I click on that website? I had a long week and I'm stressed and I think that's going to give me more relief or pleasure than what my God maker could do? Oh my God, have mercy on my soul. How could I come to that conclusion? How could I buy into that lie? The problem is so much deeper than just clicking on a website. It's a false view of God that has led us to those things. Church, we've got to have an accurate view of God and have an accurate target of repentance to begin real change in our life. So here's what I need you to grasp for today. I want you to understand that ultimately you need saved not from a drinking problem or an anger problem or a greed problem. You need saved from a worship problem. And if we could just, the furthest we get today, if that could just be your prayer. God, I don't treat you like you deserve to be treated. I haven't been loving you like you deserve to be loved. I haven't been worshiping you like like you deserve to be worshiped. God, I put whatever you fill in the blank, I've put that above you. I treasure that above you. If we could just begin to repent of the right things. Because ultimately our problem is a worship problem. And next week, we'll look at exactly how Jesus is the answer to that problem. Let's pray. Father, we need you even to want you. We pray that you would wake us up inside. You would take off those blinders that the God of this world has put on unbelievers. And you would help us see the glory of Christ that is the image of God. We would see how beautiful you are. We would treasure you as we should. We would treasure you as you deserve. We would worship you as the prize of our life. There would be no other gods before you. And we would love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We cannot do that without your help. We are dead in our sin, but we are made alive in Christ. Thank you for Jesus Christ. 
wake us up to your glory that we would treasure you most of all. Amen.